Eans is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shop Speaker Series. This week, Katie Oliveira from www.collegehoodadvice.com shares becoming a college parent, what to expect during the first year of college. And I live here in Austin, and for 15 years, I've been an academic advisor, college success coach, university instructor, and university administrator at both big public university, like University of Houston, and a small private liberal arts university, St. Edwards University here in town. So I have an experience at both, both places. In addition to teaching, which is what I'm currently doing, um, I also am the host of a podcast designed to help college students thrive during their time in college called the College Head Advice Podcast. And I have my own coaching practice to help students figure out what they want to do with their life and then actually use the college experience intentionally and strategically to make that dream a reality once they graduate or in the years after they graduate. On the one, I'd like to kind of walk you through what a normal semester looks like and when, what moments and what reasons why common challenges, struggles, growing pains emerge and at different parts of that first semester. And then I'd like to give you a couple of tactical strategies to help your student navigate those times. Now, in my time of being a college advisor, the difference between students who are successful in college and students who are not aren't natural beauty and good looks, aren't natural talents and brilliance. It's how they navigate the experience. It's what tools they use, how well they persevere, their ability to be resilient, their ability to access support and resources, and their connection to why they're in the experience to start with, right? So I would like nothing more than to be able to give you a vaccination, a serum, successful college experience possible, free of adversity and suffering. Right? But I'll be honest with you, I haven't developed it quite yet. And if I had, I wouldn't give it to you. And you're like, what? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Why? Because they need to struggle. They need to have mistakes. They need to fail. They need to face adversity. And like I said a moment ago, the difference between those who are successful and those who are not successful is not an absence of adversity. It's the ability to weather adversity well. Right? And so that what I'm going to provide you today. I'm going to provide you with both what you expect and how to successfully navigate it. Okay? So we'll talk what to expect first. I've broken up the first semester into four phases. Within the first four weeks of the semester, the primary objective of your student is going to be to make friends at their new university. And this is true whether your student is staying at home and commuting to ACC or your student is going across the country completely far away from you, right? It, the first objective is to gain acceptance, to find friends, to kind of figure out if they made the right choice about what college they're attending as far as fit and culture. And because of this, they're gonna feel, especially if they're living on a college campus, they're going to feel like they've been sent away to camp for a few weeks. Everyone's up. It's like you're in a, a big giant slumber party, but it's every day, and you have to go to class and turn things in, right? And if you're commuting, you may feel left out of that slumber party. You may feel like the person who didn't get invited 
related to the slumber party. So common challenges that I'm during this time is the, the desire to make fast friends. And so one thing I like to remind students, and as we go, I'll kind of give you little things that maybe you can nugget so that you can say, like, remember this to help a student with their perspective and mindset. So one thing I say to students during this time when they come to my office crying, and they say, the girl next door's already got 20 friends and they to a party and they didn't invite me. I ask them how long it took them to make their best friend from high school. And they tell me, usually many years, right? They were in kindergarten together. They've known each other since the third grade. They became friends freshman year of high school, right? And I say, remember that, because you've only known these people for five minutes, right? You've only known them for five minutes. And so it's going to take time to be true friends in college. And your true friends are likely not going to come from who you live with in your dorm and who sits next to you in your general ed classes, which is where most freshmen get exposure to their first round of friends in these early weeks. Um, in addition to trying to make friends, they are trying to establish a routine. They're trying to figure out how to manage themselves going to class, especially class schedule that's sort of scattershot. You know, we're all going to go to orientation over the summer. And we're going to hope for the like most beautiful schedule that everyone dreams that they see seniors having of where, you know, I only go to class from 11 to 2 and I have Fridays off. That is an unlikely schedule for a freshman. It's not likely. They want it, but it's not likely. And the universities do this by design. Freshman classes usually meet as much as possible. They usually are 50 minute instead of 75 minute because they want them going to class. They're usually early in the morning because they want them to get up and they want to establish routine. So freshman classes are scheduled in a way that doesn't allow them to have really cool senior schedule they all want. Um, to protect them, to get them to get good habits. And so they're trying to figure that out. There's a lot of going out, there's a lot of hanging out, a lot of staying up late, right? So it's, it feels very much like summer camp. So because of that focus, have, have, I, have I missed anything that they, you would think they would be doing? right now? Have I mentioned something that like students usually do in college? Study? Maybe read something? Right? They get their, their syllabus and there's not a weekly reading quiz necessarily, right? There's not, there might be weekly homework, especially for classes like math and science, but not necessarily. And so because there's no deadline, no due dates, you know, doing that reading that the professor assigned probably is not going to happen. So very minimal academic work in these first couple weeks, and that's going to come back. The next reason is a reality check as it starts to come to the realization that they're not actually at summer camp, they're at college. <laughs> it has not ended yet. It is not yet time to go home. <laughs> um, so if you think about like when you would go to summer camp, it's really fun at the beginning, but you know, as you kind of got to the end, you're kind of over it, you're tired. You just want your own space. You want to take a shower at your own house, right? You want your mom's home cooking. It's kind of the same thing that hits at around the fourth, third or fourth week. This is when you will get the phone calls that say, I think I want to transfer. I really need to come home, <laughs> right? I think I need to come home on the weekend, right? Sickness, desire to transfer, the early signs of wanting to change a major, all of these 
typically happen around the three weeks. And it could be if they should be at college at all, or it could be if they're at the right college, right? So ideas about, I think I want to transfer, start to emerge early as a third week. Um, and this is when things start to shake up with that first round of friends, which I call proximity friends, that ain't starting to get on your nerves, that sweet mate made your bathroom a mess, right? That girl next to you in class is not sharing her notes with you, whatever it is, right? And that's when I like to recommend to students, especially in this part phase, is to go join one thing, just one thing that you truly are curious about or interested in. Because the objective of being involved in college is different than the objective of being involved in high school. In high school, you want them to be scattershot involved in all kinds of stuff because they got to get into college, right? But in college, it is better to be highly involved with great depth in one or two things than to be involved in a whole bunch of things. So I recommend for students in this time to go get involved. Go to, usually at around the time of the semester, there's some kind of involvement fair on almost every campus. Student life, which is usually the department on a campus that houses all the student organizations, um, usually starts to promote organizations around this time. This is generally if you're interested in your child joining a Panelaic organization. This is generally when they start the process of uh, rushing for Greek life, right? It's around this time in the semester. This is where they're more likely to find their real people, is through involvement that's about who they are and what they like, and within a major that is really well aligned with who they are. And so those early friends, you may have some tears when there's a shift in friendship that happens in those early weeks of semester, and that's normal. And then this is also when they have their first round of assignments. Most freshmen, um, Assignments happen in thirds. So if like an upper class assignment has like a midterm and a final, a freshman will have as many assignments as possible to help them earn good grades. This is a retention strategy of a university to keep freshmen there. So the first round of high value assignments usually happens about the fourth, fifth week of the semester. The second round around the 10th week of the semester and the final round at the end of the semester. Your student is likely to have all their papers, their tests, all happen between the fourth and sixth week of the semester. And I rem remember I told you they haven't really been studying because they didn't have to study in high school. They could cram at the last minute, go in and make an A. It ain't going to happen in college. This is when they're going to take their first round and they're going to be like, oh my God, I made a C, I made a D, I failed my first round of tests, and they're going to call you freaking out. There's a couple of reasons why they don't do well in this first round of assessments. Number one, they're used to studying for knowledge, not application. They study to pass a test. They study no information. In college, they are not being tested for the right answer. They're being tested for the best answer. They're being tested to show they understand and they can apply. The reason for this is because you're going to hear your students say when you go to orientation, I took pre-cal in high school. Why do I have to take it again? It's not a regurgitation of content. It's a more higher level sophistication of understanding that faculty are wanting. Right? It's not just knowing if you know it. It's how can you use it, apply it. Right? The other thing is grades are different in college. 
if you do what the professor, if you do what the teacher asks you to do, you're going to get an A. If you do what the professor asks you to do, you're going to get a C. C is baseline. C is norm. C is what a majority of the students should make in the classroom. A is a little bit more knowledge, or like super sophisticated mastery. B is lower level mastery. And C is I've done exactly what the professor has asked of me. Right? And so a lot of students will get that first round of grades, and they're not making A's and everything, and that's a shock to them because of the way grading functions. And college can be a little different. Different schools are different. Different schools have different grading systems. Different schools have different rigor. But in, on the whole, that interpretation of what a grade means is different in college. Okay, the third phase is the scramble. And this phase happens from about the eighth week to the twelfth week. And usually this is when Thanksgiving happens. You'll start, it's like Thanksgiving rounds this. They come home right after the, scam, the scramble for Thanksgiving. So you kind of get them at the worst part of the semester for Thanksgiving break. <laughs> um, so why the scramble? So a couple things happen here. This is normally at most institutions when they're going to start to see an advisor to talk about registration for the following semester already. They just started. They've only been in class for a few weeks, and it's already time to start thinking about what they want to do next semester. And that question about what do you want to do next semester coupled with poor academic performance than they're normally used to um, creates a questioning of am I in the right major? Am I studying the right thing? Am I cut out for this? Is this a good match for me? Am I smart enough to do this? So you'll see that emerge at around this time. 70% of students change their major in the first three semesters of college. 70% of students change their major for three semesters of college. So, regardless of all the work we do in high school and all the admissions consultants that we pay for our student to figure out their life while they're in high school, while they're under 18, when they get to college and they start to work on that level, they are very likely to change their major. Now, it might be a little change, like I'm biology and now I'm going to be biochemistry. Or it might be a really big change, like I'm biology and now I'm theater, right? <laughs> um, but the reason for that is that the, they are starting to have actual experience. And honestly, experience is the king in determining what we want to do with our life. Experience, mentors, actually being out in the world, learning material at an expert level rather than in a general that we all need to know this level, getting exposure to content and subjects and opportunities that they didn't even know existed until they got to the college experience, starts to sort of open up their world. So it's really common for students to sort of start to question that at this moment in the semester. Now it's different for everyone, but this is usually when I see it as a freshman advisor when it first starts to rear its head. <laughs> really, really rear its head. Um, so this is also when like FOMO starts to set in because you have students who students who seem really cool, like they have it all together and they're making good grades and they're like, why isn't that my life? But that student doesn't know that that other cool student who seems like they have it all together was just in my office crying as well. They all think they're the only one struggling. They're the only one experiencing and failing or, or not sure of themselves, lacking confidence. They don't realize that it's all of them that feel that way, even if they're really successful. They all are feeling some level of uncertainty because they're all in transition. And that's normal when we're in transition 
to be a little uncertain, right? Um, and so that starts to heighten at this time as well as deciding if I'm going to stay at this school because they are starting to be asked to think about registration. And so they feel like that means they have to make a choice about staying at the school. They don't. They can get advised. They can register. They can go home for Christmas break. They can talk to you. And then they can withdraw and go somewhere else, right? It is always just as an aside. If your kid is like, I don't know if I want to stay at the school. I might, I might not. I don't know. Always have them register. Always register. You can always withdraw, but you can't always add. Right, so just that's a that's a pro tip. This is usually Thanksgiving in this time, and it's time to be serious phase. Most of the high value assignments are given at the end. So I teach freshman class at St. Edwards. It's a U.S. history class, and at the end of the semester, within the last three weeks of the semester, students still had the capability to raise their grade, two letter grades, or drop their grade, two grades because I had a term paper and a final in the last three weeks of the semester. And that's kind of the norm. There is a reason for it, and it's not to torture students. The reason for it is to help them do all that transitional stuff to make bad grade on that first round of tests, to get some feedback about their performance without it completely derailing their academic performance and success. It's to give them much time as possible to raise their grades and figure it out before the high value grades really set in. However, that's sort of the administrator's perspective. But from the student perspective, this is the time in the semester where they are exhausted. And they feel a great deal of pressure to improve their performance. So this is um, the time in the semester where you're going to have heightened illness because cold and flu season naturally emerge. I live in a petri dish just to give you a sense. In my time working with college students within my first three years, I had pneumonia like three times. I had bronchitis. I've had the H1N1 virus. <laughs> like I've had the flu, even with the flu shot, and I'm not even living in the res hall with them. And they have their own pen in my office, right? So illness is real. This is why the state requires a meningitis vaccination. But it's especially bad because they don't sleep well. They have bad sleep hygiene. I know you know this. They have high levels of stress that are diminishing their immune system. And those things together, living in a petri dish, are going to be when they're really sick, at the very same moment that they need to do a lot of work. If your student has a health condition or a mental health condition, this might be the time of the semester that it shows itself. And so a recommendation I have is make sure you have providers for your student, not their providers that they're used to talking to who they can call who live in another state, but providers in the city where they are going to school that they can go and see, who have, they have a relationship with before they need them. Um, and that they also have a relationship with the student disability services if they have those, if they have any conditions like if they have a mental health issue, a physical issue, or a learning difference, to make sure that they have already connected with the Student Disability Services Office on their campus well before this phase of the semester. This is when students just will go to the dark place, but this is, when, this is the time of the semester where students get hospitalized, where students, I have ideation, where students come home, where students withdraw from all their classes for illness, because this is the part of the semester where the stress comes to a head. So um, those are, that's like the worst case. 
scenario, right? But I want to make like make you aware of that because this is the time frame where that emerges. Okay, they're ready to come home. The desire to get out is high, and the desire to finish is high. But it's also a time where if you can focus them, they have the, the best chance to like really finish strong and really start to perform well and get in the groove of college. Okay, questions about phases, the four phases, before I move on, give you some tools on how to help them get around some of those problems I mentioned. So now that I have made you very nervous and worried, <laughs> I'm going to pull you out of the pit <laughs> and help you know that it's going to be okay and that the objective here is not to swoop in and save your baby. The objective is to help them become self-advocators because they are now adults. And they have to go out into the world with you kind of behind them say, go that way, get help over here, but without you doing it for them. You can't do it for them. Universities don't want, professors don't want to talk to you. Advisors don't want to talk to you. When you go to orientation, they're going to separate you from your child. They're going to put you in your own orientation and not let you talk to them. You don't get to pick their classes. You don't get to make their schedule. You have no power anymore. They take it all away from you. It's not because they don't love you, because you're very, very important. But their objective is to develop your student into an amazing adult that they have the potential to be. And so they need to start to help them self-advocate because the student who is successful at college, like I said before, is not the student with natural talent and good looks and high grades. It's the student who can self-advocate and weather adversity. That is a student who is successful at college. It doesn't matter what else they have with them. So that's what the university is trying to do because the university knows if the student can talk to the professor, if the student can talk to the advisor, if the student can advocate for themselves and get help on the campus themselves, they will fare well. But if they have to call you and you call the professor, they will not fare well and the professor will be really annoyed. There are three keys to a smooth semester to college, and I'm going to do them in the order of importance, with the most important thing being last. The first is your student needs to enlist a support team, and I'll talk more about who needs to be on that team. Every student who goes to college needs a support team, and it should not be their friends. It should not be their older sibling who's been in college before. It should not be that kid they know that go to their college that's a junior. That's not their support team. Their support team should be made up of grown-ups, and I'll tell you who those grown-ups should be, okay? The second is they do need to develop some strong academic habits, but they are not the ones we think of. They're more executive functioning habits, right? Our decision-making, our ability to learn, our ability to manage ourselves and our time tasks. Third is they have got to understand and know why they are in college. And to get a job is not a reason. To get a job once I graduate is not enough. To make money once I graduate is not enough. They have to know their internal, innate reason for being there, and then everything else falls into place. And I'll talk about why. Enlist a support team. Every university across the country has these offices on it. Okay, enlist a support team. Your student support team should consist, of course, of you, but it should also consist of people who are on the campus themselves. Students are very nervous to talk to new grown-ups because they have not yet realized that they're a grown-up. They learn that hierarchical 
thing where you're a grown-up and I'm a kid, right? But the grown-ups on a college campus are going to try to break that down. They want that kid to show up like a grown-up. And so their willingness to help them kind of along in that is different depending on the university you're at. Some universities believe in tough love and throwing them in the deep end, and they got to figure it out. And some universities kind of help them along the way to figure out how to advocate for themselves. Depends. Depends on the culture of the university. Depends on the personality of the instructor, right? Um, so I recommend who's on the team. At every university, when you go to orientation, you're going to be introduced to an advising office of some kind. Different universities do it differently. Some universities have a freshman advising office with like professional staff advisors who have a caseload of students and they have a relationship with those students and they're kind of keeping an eye to make sure that no, they're not on fire. Um, some universities assign a student to a faculty member in their major. Some universities assign a student to a peer advisor. Right? It depends on the structure of the university, but every student everywhere across the country has some kind of advisor. The advisor is the go-to person. It is like the team captain. Not because the advisor can solve all the problems, but because one of the best jobs of an advisor, one of the best things an advisor is good at, is referring students to other offices. <laughs> they are really good at that. They can have a student walk in with a problem, connect a student to the office that can really help them faster than probably anybody else on a campus, right? And so that's why I say your go-to is the advisor. Uh, the advisor is, of course, going to be the person that helps you understand the requirements of your degree plan, the policies of the university, the, um, you know, the, they're going to be the person who keeps an eye on any kind of uh, warning signals that the university has in place for first-year students. So stu they pay attention to things like, how often has the student been absent? You know, does the student, sometimes schools will do midterm progress reports, you don't get to see them, but your student gets it. Where a professor fills out what the grade is, and the student will get that they've got a C or a D in the class. But that, you don't get it, but the advisor gets it. And the advisor usually will, if they're concerned, call the student in. Right? But it's different than high school and that in high school, the counselor calls you and you and the student come in. In college, the counselor is going to call the student and the student may never tell you what's happening. Right? So it's up to you to ask and say, can I have those logins? Because no one at the university will give them to you. They cannot because of FERPA. Your student is an adult. Even if they're 17, the university will not give them to you. Your student has to decide if it's okay for you to know your grades. Your student has to give you your password, which is really hard for parents, right? Because I'm paying for college, and you're 18, and I'm your parent, and that relationship is just shifted. And so from the perspective of the university, the student is the owner of that information. The student is an adult, and the university will tell you you'll have to ask your student for that information. And then once you have that information, your course of action is to coach the student on what to do, not talk to the advisor or the professor. The student is the customer, even though the parent is the guardian and paying. Your power is in your relationship and the communication between you and your student. You can no longer control or have access 
access to the information without going through your student. Well, you still remain the parent. The, the legal documents, when you go to orientation, different universities have a release form to allow you to get information, but different universities interpret that differently. And they, so some universities just have a blanket policy that they will not give any information to a parent without a student present. And, and that's just how they deal with it. Or they communicate through the student. Like if you called the advisor, the advisor would tell the student, like your parent called me and they are concerned about this, right? Because the relationship is between the advisor and the student, not the advisor and the parent and the student. So they're 18 now, so it's like getting a medical release form like you would if from your spouse, right? Like your spouse gives you permission to release medical records, your child needs to give you permission to release medical records because you're no longer, they're an adult, right? So they're now a separate entity from you. Like FERPA is within the university, but it's because they are, they're an adult, right? It's not just because they're entering the university, it's just the, the information now. I just know it from the university, the university is going to not, so you're used to the high school treating you as like the primary person governing the student's experience. The university, you're just like a part of the student's family. The university is the client. You're just like a person in their family, right? A important person, a person the student, the, the university wants to have a relationship with, but from the perspective of like the student navigating the university system, the student is the client. The student is an independent entity at the university. So when you go, so the office that governs those release documents is the registrar's office. Yeah. But also I would find out what the policy is of the university and I would just have a conversation with your student because it's not meant to be like a combative thing. It's meant to be a part, it's just, le it's legal. This is the federal regulations. Yeah. Okay, next. Oh, other people do enlist in your support team. So your advisor. Student has a medical, psychological um, condition or a learning difference, they need to connect with student disability services. So that's 504, right? You know, 504 accommodations. That's the office that's going to house that. Um, your student, if they live on campus, who the resident assistant is, or their resident, their resident assistant versus their resident director. So that's the student who lives on the hall with them. Um, they should have a relationship with that person. Um, if the student is um, connecting with like a career office on campus is a really good idea, even as a freshman. And I would recommend uh, their number one go-to after their advisors is their faculty. Like <laughs> going to office hours, building relationships with their faculty. Students don't go to office hours. Students like to talk to the faculty in the five minutes before and after class while 10 other students are talking to them. and. As a faculty member, it's really hard to like connect with you in that level. A faculty member is intimidating, but is probably the most powerful person to build a relationship with on campus. That's where you're going to get your referrals. That's who you're going to have as a mentor. That's who's going to help you learn, especially people who are in your major. Um, okay. The second thing you can do to inoculate your student is help them begin to develop strong academic habits. And strong academic habits is less to do with getting an A and more to do with learning how to like sort of manage and navigate the, their learning, right? Especially if it's within their major. Because we're not just trying to get an A and get out of a class. We're trying to build prerequisites and expertise in a field, right? And so we've kind of trained our students to tick off boxes to get to the next thing, to get the A. And in doing that, they're achieving but they're also not necessarily learning. They're more focused on memorizing and getting outcomes. And so one of the 
key things a student can do is one, they need a planner. It can be an old-fashioned paper planner, it can be their phone, it can be an online planner, but they need to start to plan a calendar like you plan a calendar as a professional. Because that's something they're gonna do when they go out into the working professional world. So it's not necessarily about having a to-do list anymore and kind of knocking them out or writing it on your hand or having sticky notes, right? All their, all their different tactics or having reminders in their phone, right? All their tactics to remember things. It's about creating blocks and chunks of time and scheduling in non-specific tasks, having a routine around reading, having a routine around weekly homework, having treating work, treating school like an eight to five. They don't do that. They're like, free afternoon, I'm gonna nap. <laughs> right, I'm gonna binge watch Netflix, right? So they need to figure out how to batch that time. And most universities support in that area. Um, the other thing is two things I tell students at orientation that if you do nothing else, this is like the way to make a C in college. The first is never, ever, ever miss class. That like kind of mythology we have of going, you know, the party movies of the 80s, right? That's not how college works anymore. Most universities take attendance. Attendance is built into grades, right? And quite frankly, you're getting the content. And so if you never miss class and you begin doing all your assignments when they are assigned, not when they are due, doing those two things alone will help you be infinitely more successful in college than what they do, which is skip class as much as they possibly can and do everything the night before, right? If you flip that and just do those two things differently alone, you'll have a great, way better result. The third thing is understanding why they are there in the first place. We as parents, are, what's our primary objective for our children? I know mine is to make sure that they're safe and secure and they get to have self-actualization and be happy people. I think that's a fair assessment as our primary objective, right? And so in doing this, we try to help them make responsible, practical decisions. And we want them to become beautiful, successful things like doctors and engineers and lawyers and business leaders and um, professors, right? When our students go to college, they don't always know what all the possibilities are for work out in the world. They don't understand always how to connect who they are, their talents, their strengths, their skills, their values with what the marketplace needs and wants to pay for versus what they can do to contribute to that. They can't align that stuff all together always. And so often they will pick a pathway based in two things, three things really. One, did I do okay in that subject in high school? Two, does major sound like it leads to some kind of job I've heard of before? And three, how are the people around me responding to it? Are they asking me, what do you think you're gonna do with that? Or are they like, oh, we're so proud of you, right? This messes up students. This is why 70% of students change their major. Because when we ask them what they wanna be when they grow up, their idea about that is really tiny, right? Think about little kids, what do they tell you? Fireman, working man, teacher, nurse or doctor. It's because those are the professions they see. And we kind of we kind of pigeonhole and put them in a trajectory based on those um, professions sometimes. And so they try to look for majors that sound like those professions when they go to school. Uh, but the thing is, is that a major no longer equals a job. 
The idea that a major equals a specific job is an old idea from sort of when college was reserved for elite people who went to college to become leaders, professional leaders. Now that college is for pretty much everyone and is a requisite to go out in the world and do things, the purpose of college is to give you some really important transferable skills. And there are definitely still majors that equal a job. But there are a lot more majors that equal many, many jobs and a lot more ways to combine them together to create a unique job than ever has been before, which is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing because the possibilities are endless. It's a bad thing because, oh my God, where do I start? What do I do? So giving your child space to start to think through what they want to be and letting them know that it's okay if they change and connecting to them with resources to help them do that is really important. It's the linchpin that makes all this other stuff pull together. I have seen students go from failing, anxious, disengaged, to changing their major to the right thing, to becoming campus leaders who are like starting organizations and are on top of the world. I have a specific student in mind. She came in during orientation as a freshman, as an accounting major. She had really low math scores. She didn't like math. She didn't do any math. In, like She didn't do any like AP math in high school. She did a lot of art. She did like the 2D and the 3D AP. And I was like, why are you an accounting major? <laughs> I just asked her and she said, I need to get a job, like my parents, I need to get a good job and, and my aunt is an accountant and my parents are supportive of this. And she was miserable, she was miserable. She failed all of her business classes that first semester. She didn't make any friends in those classes. She was down, she was, her energy was low. She was like walking around campus with her head down, her headphones on all the time. And at the end of that semester I said, why don't you go talk to this art professor and just learn more about it? And then she took an elective in art, and she loved it. And she, against her parents, pushed her major to art, and her parents were mad, and they withdrew funding for her going to school. And this, so this is why the universities have FERPA, right? And she was like, I'm gonna have to withdraw. And so the university called in her parents and talked to them about it. Like, here's what, we, what happened. She was failing, we helped her switch to this, she's thriving. Her parents reinstated the funding. She's now a senior. She sells art on Etsy. She's the leader of the art organization at campus. She is, has her art in galleries, right? She's making A's. She's got friends. She's thriving. If your student can't understand why they are there, if they are misaligned with their major purpose, there's no amount of resources and executive functioning coaching that you can do to make them thrive. Those things work when they understand and have motivation. And motivation comes from being connected to why they're there. Okay, so that's what I got. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archive video recording of this session and any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.